It's really important when we look at health care, we look at all the different costs, we look at everything that's involved in health care as far as your patients' costs and what they're facing. One of the big issues is pharmaceuticals and issues in pharmacy, which could, in fact, have an impact on your patient's health. Today, I'm with Dr. Robert Marks. Dr. Marks is chairman of oral and maxillofacial surgery, and he's the chief of surgery at the University of Miami School of Medicine. Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD, Dr. Marks. Thank you. Good to be here, and hope we can discuss some interesting issues. Well, the first interesting issue, I would say, is when you were first presented to me, the overall question is, what you don't know about big pharma could kill you. That certainly gets attention for any of us. Tell me a little bit about what that means and what you're more or less driving at. I became a little bit disappointed in Big Pharma when we began to realize there's a lot of uh, people coming in with dead bone in the jaws, now recognized as osteonecrosis. And then when we brought it to the attention of Big Pharma, and I'll actually name the names. It's Novartis Pharmaceuticals and Merck. They denied it. Their research that I looked at was horribly floppy. They could have identified that this was going to happen. When they did find it, they ended up pushing back and trying to deny it by offering rich research grants to many of us to show that the drug didn't cause the side effects that it was causing. Now, this particular medication, you want to describe it, or do you want to just talk in generalities? No, I can describe it. I think it's all above board because these were presented in courts of law. I was an expert witness against them, and I was actually shocked to see some of the emails that went down about these type of things. But no, it's Fosamax as an osteoporosis medication. The problem with that is that it's too high a dose for too long. And yet osteoporosis is one of the things physicians really want to treat to prevent fractures. But the FDA finally caught up with everybody on this. And basically in 2011, made the statement that every woman who's on a bisphosphonate class of which Fosamax is the number one culprit to produce dead bone in the jaws, need to be checked after just three years, and it's unlikely any woman needs to take it for more than five years. What the drug company misunderstood is bone physiology and bone pathology, and the fact that bisphosphonate as a class of drug stays in bone for 11 and a half year half-life. So it accumulates to excessive doses. And so two major complications have occurred, dead bone in the jaws that we call osteonecrosis and mid-shaft femur fractures. I remember years ago actually working in television, covering another story, New England Journal of Medicine came out, so I'm waiting to do my interview. And I I remember reading an extensive article, I'm talking about years ago, about bone damage associated with the bisphosphonates. Yes, um, we first published it in 2003. So this was something that goes on for a while, which I guess serves as an illustrative example. You know, I always tend to think everybody's trying to do their best job, but an illustrative example of essentially that physicians need to be aware of medications that people are taking, and also we need to also be aware, I guess, of studies that are conducted and the funding of studies, too. Tell me a little bit about that and what you've seen over the years. Particularly the American Society of Bone and Mineral Research, and and I will name those names, were given a position paper to write, and I was invited to be part of it, but yet 19 of the 24 experts were paid consultants to the drug companies. And yet they're putting out a position paper that's very much in denial about causation. The drug company has an interesting influence on us, research grants, uh, support of different uh, associations, and, and of course, um, support of articles. Uh, they basically have an in with a lot of the journals. Well, when you talk about this, I mean, we've been talking about Big Pharma for decades, and 
there has been a lot of advances because, for instance, you know, I'm old enough in medicine to remember when we were given gifts, not just pens, but breakfast, lunch, dinner, all sorts of things for conferences. That's been pretty much pulled away. There's, there's now organizations that can monitor who's getting these things. I remember watching 2020 episodes, again, decades ago, where people were going on trips to islands, those sorts of things. They were kind of taken away. Do you think there's been advances? There's been advances in medicine, yeah. To be fair, the bisphosphonate drugs do have a role in metastatic cancer. They do have a role in osteoporosis. But once again, it's greed that takes over. A woman who starts on it at age 50, postmenopausal woman for osteoporosis, doesn't need to take it the rest of her life until she's 85. It has detrimental effects. So the drug companies didn't do long-term studies. You know, here's the problem, doctor, is that the FDA is underfunded and understaffed. The FDA doesn't do their independent research. They listen to what the drug company's data is, and the data is horribly massaged and essentially sometimes not even correct. I was an adjudicator for Amgen for their product now called Prolia at Exgeva, and I resigned from it because the research was just not correct research. They were bamboozling people, in my opinion. There is a solution if the FDA would have the authority to review drugs after they're out in the market and then be, give a chance to either re-approve them or deny approval. That would solve a lot of the problems. Well, that's what I was getting at. You know, a lot of physicians listen to this program, so they're probably thinking, oh, my gosh, what do we do? Because how do I know? Certainly some medications are tried and true and great. Other ones, how do we know the studies are being done? So what you're saying is more or less a, a continuous review based on the evidence. You go back and you check these things. Now, would that be costly, and is there money by regulatory bodies to be able to manage that? The answer is I don't know. Is there money for regulatory bodies? The answer is there should be. But there's just no will or no law that says that uh, the drug companies have to represent it. Now, in light of that, when these lawsuits were going on against uh, Merck Company, they were instructed to give a black box warning, and they altered the specific wording of the FDA, so not to mention Fosamax by name, but just to, to mention bisphosphonates as a class. So they dodged around it a little bit. If you take a look at all of the big drug company problems and scandals, thalidomide, Vioxx, Fosamax, now Exgeva, and then Gardasil, which is kind of a big controversy today, as you may know. These all come out after it's on the market. So the drug companies present two-year randomized clinical trials to the FDA. Everything looks good at two years, and then the side effects start emerging. Again, Vioxx, Gardasil, Fosamax, those are all classic examples. Look at Vioxx. 139,000 Americans developed heart attacks from that drug before Merck pulled it off the market. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and we are talking with Dr. Robert Marks, Chairman of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery, Chief of Surgery, University of Miami School of Medicine. A very tough issue looking at big pharma, regulations, what can be done to protect patients and also to make these studies better. So, I mean, you even look at the bisphosphonates, I would assume when they first got into this, they'd look at something for two years. They may find that something happens over time. They probably, I would hope, did not intentionally think it was going to be a problem over time. But when it started to reveal itself, that's, I guess, when lawyers and other people get involved and start making big decisions. You're saying that if it was consistently, all meds were consistently being regulated, we'd have a better chance of, of catching things. Is that is that what you think would be a good solution? 
I don't know if regulation is the right word, but in a way, yes, they need to be re-reviewed after it's on the market. There's a little bit of Darwinism out there. Why isn't Vioxx still on the market? It proved the side effects were worse than the pain management uh, effectiveness of it. So rather than let that go on, at about a five-year mark, if the FDA would look at the medical alerts that are sent to them, because you and I can fill out one when we notice a complication and see if there is a threshold beyond which this drug needs to be looked at once again. Is Are the benefits outweighing the risks? And that would be a very practical way to do it. You bring up a couple interesting points. I've noticed over the years, I read journals all the time, and there was a time when you rarely if ever saw a pharmaceutical company funding a study. Often they were university studies. They were done, and then over time, these sorts of studies have been funded. And let's face it, I mean, I'm only going to produce a study that makes sense for me. I'm not going to go talking about some horrible thing that proved that my product is wrong. I probably just wouldn't even print it. I mean, that would just seem normal for a company to do. Yet, if it was a medical school doing it, and it was blind funding, they would print whatever the results would be. Oh, yeah. There's there's another solution if we as a society have the will to do it. When a drug company develops a drug that has a potential benefit, rather than they selecting and conducting the study, they give that money to the FDA, and the FDA seeks out independent investigators, mainly universities, and pays the university directly rather than the drug companies sponsoring the study to the universities. There tends to be a quid pro quo that is almost natural and unavoidable if that happens. Well, and I know, obviously, the pharmaceutical companies have to disclose, and they now have to say this was funded in part by blah, 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 or the physicians were funded in part by blah, blah, blah. But you almost become numb to it if you read enough articles. I mean, I know I'm you you read enough articles. I don't just read, oh, Dr. Marks was funded by so-and-so or Dr. McDonough was funded. I just kind of read it and know in half those cases it's going to be there. But I remember when I first read it, that would shock me. I would say, wait a minute, that person's funded by someone? Why are they doing the study? It seems to have been watered down. It is. It's on the back page of most articles and in relatively small print. And you're right, we've all kind of gotten accustomed to it and don't really have the impact of the possible bias that could be in there. So assuming that pharmaceutical companies are trying to do the right thing and accepting that some may not be, one of the ways to approach this is to be more aggressive and vigilant in doing follow-up reports on medications when things come out. And I think you're right. I think we start to hear things. I always tell my residents when I'm training them, I'd rather not be the first to use a medicine, and I don't want to be the last to use a medication. I kind of want to see what happens because a lot of times, especially in the heyday of detailing, you know, you'd come in and I know my residents would come to me and say, oh, this great new antihypertensive. And I'd be like, well, what's wrong with this either beta blocker or this ACE or whatever? And they would be saying, no, no, this new one's even better because they had been detailed. We're getting less of that now in the practices. There isn't quite as much. It seems like the pressure's dialed back to bed. Yeah, perhaps it is. In my world, we do a lot of head and neck surgeries. We're pressured by a lot of the companies that do plates and screws, just like orthopedic surgeons. You can listen to the drug reps almost too much. You need to look at things yourself and look at the quality of every article. Now, we only have a couple minutes left, and we have a lot of physicians listen to this program. And obviously, you're still practicing. Just get out of surgery to do this interview. What's some other advice do you have for, you know, the primary care doctor who's out there trying to do the best thing for their patient? What sort of traps can they avoid to prevent 
problems and also to be giving their their patients the best medications and the best options? Well, I feel sorry for the primary care providers among all of us because, as you know, with health care ratcheting back, we don't have the chance to spend as much time with the patients. And so I think if there's only some advice I would give the primary care physician is be sure you discuss the side effects of the medication. And when you prescribe a drug, look at the black box warning. There's a lot of different complications they all list. And again, like you said, you become none to them. But focus in on the black box warning. That's the most common and the most serious side effects. And be sure the patient knows that. And I think that would be the first step in, a, in many steps that can be done. Spend more time with their patients, which is the hardest thing to do today, as I think you probably know. Right, and talk about the medications and are there any unusual symptoms or things that are going on and try to at least find out a little more. Because I know patients don't always volunteer things. They sometimes are stoic or they feel, I guess, I'm to expect this or whatever, to try to keep that communications open. Yeah, indeed, yes. With only about a minute left, is there something I didn't ask you or a point you felt was really important to bring up that you'd like to bring up at this point in the program? Once again, this is not to be negative toward medications. Look at right now with the genome study, there's a lot of exciting medications coming out, anti-cancer medications and such. The, The success rate for cancer control, a lot of other things is fine. There's a balance to be taken here. And if there's any, you know, last-minute advice, I think we need to uh, empower the FDA a little bit to be more of a watchdog and for all of us out in the field to send in the medical watches when you have a person who has a complication from a medication. When I lecture on this subject and I ask how many people have seen a case or two and, and everybody raise their hand, then I ask how many have sent in a notification to the FDA called a medical watch and nobody does. We have that responsibility that we're not living up to. It would alert them that there is a side effect with this drug that has not been identified before. Dr. Robert Marks, I'm afraid we run out of time. I want to thank you for joining me and sharing your insights on primary care today. This was an interview. I appreciate your patience. We tried to get it going for several weeks, and I'm, I'm really glad we had the chance to talk. I'm glad, too. And too bad we didn't have more time, but uh, hopefully everybody has a little bit better insight into the dark side of big pharma. There's a good side to them, but there's a dark side. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash today. You can download the podcast. You can learn more about the series. Thank you very much for listening.